Well, if you would, find Judges chapter 13. We'll begin a study of the last named judge in the Old Testament. There may have been judges that followed Samson, but he's the last one whose name is given. And tonight what we're going to see is that even before Samson was born, he was chosen by God for a great mission. A great mission. His mom hadn't even conceived when she learned she's going to have a son and that her son is going to be a deliverer of Israel. And, and you all know Samson's story, and we're not breaking any, uh, we're, we're not going to break new ground here tonight. You know about Na- Samson's story. Samson was a man that was greatly used by the Holy Spirit, wasn't he? But we also know that he was utterly ruled by the flesh. Here's a guy who did great things through God's power, but he just struggled and struggled and struggled with the temptations of the flesh. So we're going to look at him for the next few uh, few weeks. Um, someone said he was the strongest man who ever lived and also arguably the weakest. Not physically, but spiritually. Great physical strength. But he was anemic when it came to his dependence on the Lord. He was dedicated to God before his birth, but he was dedicated to himself right up until the day he died. God was, God was so uh, specific at his beginning, and Samson was so carnal all the way to the end. As we begin this study, I, I want to, I, I guess the emphasis of this study is really to, to point us again to being surrendered to God's will. Jesus said, I do always those things that, that please the Father. And even when he was just hours away from the cross, Jesus is praying, Father, not my will, but thine be done. But Samson's life reveals the consequences of demanding things your own way. And that's exactly what he did. You know his story. He had a weakness for ungodly women, and he pursued them with reckless abandon. He was given to the sins of the flesh. And although God worked through him, Samson determined that he was going to live his life the way he wanted to live it. But then he had to reap the consequences of that, didn't he? We see that all all the way through his life. It's amazing what God did with him. You'll read the Spirit of the Lord comes on him, and he does these fantastic things. And then the next thing you know, he is just being a jerk. It's an amazing roller coaster ride to watch Samson's life. But you know what's interesting? I mean, you know his story, you know how he died. And yet in Hebrews 11 32, He is named as a man of faith with the likes of Jephthah and Samuel and David. That's the grace of God. He did what he did in greatness because of God's grace. He reaped the consequences of his fleshly decisions because God lets us do that as well. You remember James chapter 1 and verse 8? I think Samson is probably, he's the perfect depiction of James 1.8. That verse says that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And if ever there is an Old Testament example of that, it's this judge named Samson. I've entitled this, uh, I've entitled this message tonight, Here Comes the Judge, because this chapter tonight is all about the leading up to and birth of this, this man named Samson. Uh, so as we follow his life over the next few weeks... As I said a moment ago, I I really want us to consider how important it is that we are fully surrendered to God. It's also a good opportunity for us to examine those areas that we might hold back from God. You know, some things are easy to give to God. Do you find that in your life? I I find that in my life. There, There are certain things that I find in my life, it's easy to surrender those things to God. But then there's other things that, well, I want to, I want to keep control of that. I want to continue in this. Or I want to continue in that. When the whole time, God is saying, Mark, surrender is surrender. It's either with surrender, it's either you're fully surrendered or you're not. You can't have half of the Japanese army surrendering 
over here on the USS Missouri, and the other half of the Japanese ar army out here shooting and blowing things up with planes. That's not surrender. And it's the same in my life. I can't claim to be surrendered to God unless I'm willing to say, God, would you, would you examine me? Would you search me, O oh God, and know my thoughts? Try me and know my ways and see if there be any wicked way in me. Would to God Samson had prayed that every once in a while. How different would his life have been, do you think, if Samson would have been fully surrendered to God? Did you know this? We're going to talk about this tonight. Did you know he was called to be a fully surrendered to God Jew even before he was born? A specially surrendered Jew. It's an amazing story that we're going to read. So let's pray that as we make our way through this, we'll not just be reminded about Samson's sins and Samson's weaknesses, but ask God to expose mine and ask God to expose yours and see if he'll not make us stronger Christians. So let's begin this study with a look at uh, those things that surround his birth, all right? Let's look at Judges chapter 13, and we will read through the first 11 verses. We'll, we'll cover the chapter tonight, but let's read through the first 11 verses because it's a, it's a pretty miraculous beginning. Chapter 13, verse 1 says, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines forty years. And there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold now, thou art barren and bearest not. Now, do you think she already knew that? You think she already knew that? What if she didn't? I've always thought to myself, she probably already knew that. But what if she didn't? What if she just thought they were having a hard, try, a hard time having a baby? The Lord comes up and says, you're not, it's, it's not possible for you to have a baby. You are barren, he says to her. But in that very same sentence, he says, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now, therefore, beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing. For lo, for lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, saying, a man of God came unto me, and his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God. Very terrible. But I asked him not whence he was, neither told me he his name. But he said unto me, Behold, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and now drink no wine nor strong drink, neither eat any unclean thing, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O my Lord, let the man of God, which thou didst send, come again unto us and teach us what, shall we, uh, what, shall, what we shall do rather unto the child that shall be born. And God hearkened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again unto the, unto the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. And the woman made haste and ran and showed her husband and said unto him, Behold, the man hath appeared unto me that came unto me the other day. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said unto him, Art thou the man that spakest unto the woman? And he said, I am. Let's stop right there. We're, we're going to go through the rest of the chapter. But what an, what an incredible beginning to the story of Samson. Uh, I like the way this, I like the way God introduces all of this. So let's make our way through this chapter. Let's start with, first of all, the announcement of Samson's birth. The announcement of Samson's birth. It came, first of all, as a heavenly announcement. You notice that in verses 2 through 5. You have this unnamed barren woman. She's got a husband named Manoah. They are of the tribe of Dan. And what she's doing, I don't know, but the Bible says she's visited by the angel of the Lord. And, she, and she's told, this barren woman is told, you're going to have a son. 
And that same promise is going to come to him. We stopped reading at verse number 11, but if you read verses 12 through 14, the same promise is given to, uh, the same promise is given to Manoah. God confirms this is, this is what's going to go on. And she was told that God would use her son to deliver Israel from the Philistines. The, uh, the question comes up, at least it should, if you're a student of the Bible, when you make your way through there, if you ask yourself certain questions, it makes for good Bible study. So the question comes up, who is this angel of the Lord? Who is he? Everything... Everything points to this being a pre-Bethlehem, pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are things said in this chapter about this angel and by this angel that point to him being Jesus Christ. This is for your worksheet, a pre-incarnate appearance. A pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus is called a Christophany. By theologians. Pre-incarnate. What does that mean? Before he was born. Before he was incarnated in the flesh. There are several times that Jesus shows up in the Old Testament. We don't have time to work through all of these tonight. But let me just read, let me just read a list to you. Jesus appeared to Hagar. Remember Hagar? Uh, Abraham's concubine. Jesus appeared to her in Genesis 16 and again in, verse, in, in chapter 21. He appeared to Abraham in Genesis 18 and 22. Jesus appeared to Jacob in Genesis 28 and Genesis 32. He appeared to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus 23 and again in Exodus 33. Jesus appeared to Joshua in Joshua chapter 5, to Gideon. In Judges chapter 6, you might remember that last year when we went through the life of Gideon. The angel of the Lord, Jesus, shows up to Gideon. Here he shows up to Samson's parents. In in Isaiah uh, chapter 6, he shows up to the prophet Isaiah. Daniel chapter 3, he appears to the three Hebrews. Remember what that scripture says? Didn't we put three guys in the fire? And Nebuchadnezzar says... But I'm looking in there, and I see four, and the fourth is like the Son of God. He appeared there to Daniel. He appeared to Zechariah in Zechariah 1 and 2 and 3 and 6. All of these appearances in the Old Testament. So why do I say this is an appearance of Jesus Christ when the Bible uses the term the angel of the Lord? Well, this is important because it says the angel of the Lord. It doesn't say an angel of the Lord. There are times in scripture when the Bible says an angel of the Lord appeared. But then there are those times when it says the angel of the Lord appeared. Now, when we look at this passage of scripture, what evidence is there in this passage that, um, that would indicate this is Jesus Christ? Let's move forward a little bit. Uh, this angel appears for the second time. He shows up to the woman. The unnamed woman. We, in fact, I'll, I'll, you probably already know that. We never learned the name of Samson's mom. We just know his dad's name. He appears to her the second time. She goes, gets her husband, says, "Hey, he's back. The guy that we, uh, the guy that I saw the first time, he's back." And he goes over to him, and they start this conversation. And in the conversation, Manoah asks that man, "What is your name?" Drop down to verse number seventeen in chapter thirteen. Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, What is thy name, that when thy sayings come to pass, we may do thee honor? And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Why askest thou thus after my name, seeing it is secret? A secret name. That's a pretty good indicator. The Lord has asked other places what his name is, and there, uh, the Bible says the secret things belong to the Lord. So he won't tell him his name here. That's an indicator that something's up. And you say, well, Pastor, I don't, know. I don't know if that's really a good thing. Then let me give you a little bit of information that might pique your interest. Would you note that word secret? And you can check me out in your strongest concordance. Is the exact same word that's found in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, when the Bible says his name shall be called Wonderful. That word Wonderful with a capital W, by the way, in Isaiah 9, 6, is the same word here. 
So he is saying, my name is secret. My name is wonderful. There's the first indicator. And you might be thinking to yourself, pastor, that's a stretch. All right, let's keep reading. The Bible says, second, that this angel of the Lord did not stop them from offering him worship or sacrifice. Let's drop down, same passage, drop down to verse number 19. So Manoah took a kid with a meat offering and offered it upon a rock unto the Lord. And the angel did wondrously. He, glor- he was glorified. He began to show himself. And Manoah and his wife looked on, for it came to pass when the flame went up toward heaven from the off the altar that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. And Manoah and his wife looked on it and fell on their faces to the ground But the angel of the Lord did no more appear to Manoah and his wife. He did not refuse their worship or their sacrifice. Had that been an angel, they would have been rebuked for that. But they weren't. The last thing I want you to notice, and here's the the dead giveaway. How do I, why do I say this is an appearance of Jesus Christ? Look at what Manoah says in verse number 22. Manoah said unto his wife, we shall surely die. Why? Because we have seen God. They were convinced that that God had appeared to them. Not just an angel, the angel of the Lord had appeared to them. So I believe this is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. This is a husband and wife, by the way. Um, I think they were a husband and wife that were committed to the worship of the true God. For all that was going on in Israel at this time, I I think they were a couple committed to God. When, let me just give you an illustration. When his wife comes to him and says, Manoah, I was just talking to an angel, and he said, we're going to have a son. He didn't say, woman, you're crazy. He thought that there was a very real possibility that God had appeared to his wife and said, you're going to have a son. So much so did he believe her that this was possible. He prayed to God and said, the one that you sent the first time, he believed his wife. That's, and I, I'm just saying that to show there's a strong marriage there. There's, there's a good relationship here in their home between this husband and wife. When he says, or, or when she says rather that this angel came and told me this, he asked God to send the same angel back again. There's a, I, believe that, I believe that Samson was born into a good home. Were they perfect parents? No. We'll see that in Samson's life, and some of you, uh, some of you are aware of that already. But he, but he and his wife, they do believe God here. God tells them a miraculous thing. So first of all, there is this heavenly announcement. But then also in that, in that same verse, verse number one that we read, I want to say this is also a hopeful announcement. It was a hopeful announcement. After Jephthah had delivered Israel from the Ammonites, Israel did pretty well. You remember the cycle in Judges. Israel sins. God sells them into uh, captivity. They get tired of it. They cry out to God. God sends a man. They deliver him. And then they go right back into it. Years later, they fall back into sin. And there's this vicious cycle that goes on in the book of Judges. Well, back in chapter 12, Jephthah had delivered Israel, or chapter 11, Jephthah had delivered them from the Ammonites, and then there were three judges that followed him, and the Bible doesn't say under those next three judges, the Bible never says that they went into captivity again. So they've been out of captivity for a while, but at some point, at some point, they turned their back on God in chapter 13 and verse number 1, it says, the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines 40 years. And so they've been in captivity now. When you're reading this story tonight about Samson and Manoah and his mom, you're reading a story that has taken place while they have been decades under the thumb of the Philistines. So for them to be told that God is going to give them a son, and the Bible says this, he shall begin to deliver them from the Philistines. This is a a message of hope that's coming to them. They were being reminded that God hadn't forgotten them. 
God was going to bring them out from, out from under the uh, hand of the Philistines, and God was still at work. And here's the truth. God always has a plan. God was always work, even through this 40-year captivity in the, the land, uh, or in the, the captivity of the Philistines, rather, God's still working his plan. God hadn't forgot Israel. He's just teaching them hard lessons to learn. And sometimes when our personal circumstances seem like they're out of control and we, we may feel like we're in captivity, I want you to, I want you to remember that God, God has a plan and he's faithfully working that plan. God was waiting until the people were tired of it. And when they got tired of it, the Bible always says in the book of Judges, they cried out to the Lord. Remember that? And God said, okay, now we can do something that. As long as you want to wallow in sin, God will let you do that. God will let me do that. But when you get tired of it and call out to him, God says, now I can do something with that. Well, he sends this one, Samson, and this is a a hopeful announcement. After 40 years, finally someone is coming and he's going to begin to deliver uh, the nation of Israel. God's working a plan in them. God's working a plan in you. God's working a plan in me. Trust him. Trust him. I don't always like that plan. Trust him anyway. He is working out a plan. He's faithful and he's good. So that's the announcement of his birth and it comes by way of the angel of the Lord, I believe is Jesus Christ. The announcement then the, the second thing is this, the arrangements of Samson's birth. The arrangements of it. What's the details? Boy, when a barren woman hears that she's going to have a son, and like I said, I don't know, maybe she knew she was barren. Maybe they've been married for 10 or 15 years, and they've tried to have kids, and it just hasn't happened. But the Lord does set the record straight, and he comes to her and says, unnamed lady in Israel, you are barren. It's not your husband's fault you don't have any children. You're barren, but you're going to conceive. And then he goes on to to give some of the things around. So I'm calling this the arrangements of his birth. And the first thing you see there in verse 3 is a promised miracle. You're barren, but you're going to conceive. How many times have we seen that in the Old Testament? Let me ask you a question. How many times have you seen that in our church? We've had families in our church where doctors have told women, you're not going to have children. Vicki Blaylock was told that years and years ago. Thank the Lord we have Mina and Benjamin now. I, I love it when, when we say, well, this is just how something is. And God comes in, he says, well, not necessarily. And he comes to this unnamed woman and he says to her, now you're barren, but you're going to have a child. In fact, you're going to have a man child. That had to elate her. Now listen, that would elate any woman I know, but you have to keep in mind that in the Middle Eastern culture to be a barren woman, especially at this particular time in history, that was considered a curse. Oftentimes it was looked at as a curse from your God whether you were pagan or or even the Jew. The Jew looked at barrenness as a curse on their family. Why did they they see that as so harsh? Because it was not only, not only did young Jewish girls dream of becoming a mother, but at the back of every young Jewish girl's mind, there was the possibility that she could be in the line of Messiah. And so if she's barren, there's no way she's going to be in the family tree of Messiah. But how awesome would that be to be uh, the mother of one who is in the family tree of the promised Messiah? Well, for a while, this lady thought she'd never have that. Barrenness meant she was taken out of the potential to, to be in the Messiah's family tree. Barrenness meant that she could easily be divorced by a man who loved the idea of being a father to sons more than he loved his wife. I'm so glad Jacob wasn't like that. I'm I'm glad Isaac wasn't like that. They loved their wives. Even when Rachel couldn't have a baby, Jacob loved, he loved Rachel. And then God opened, finally opened her womb. Well, barrenness in this culture was a terrible burden. Barrenness meant that when her husband dies, she's got no offspring 
there's a good chance she's just going to go into a life of loneliness and poverty. But she gets a promised miracle. God comes to Manoah's wife and promises her she is indeed going to have a baby, and not just a baby, a son. A son to carry on the family name. And not just any son. A son that would be a judge that would begin to deliver Israel from Philistines. That's a fantastic promise she receives. It's a promised miracle. God comes to her and and we see so oftentimes in scripture that when there was a great need, it was a baby that was promised. It was a baby that showed up. Israel has been in captivity for 400 and something years. And Amram and Jochebed have a little baby boy and his name is Moses. And he's going to lead Israel out of Egypt. That little baby's going to do that. Abraham is told that his stars, uh, his, his offspring rather, are going to be as numbered as the stars in heaven are. But Sarah's barren. And what happens? She gets pregnant and has a baby boy, Isaac. Samson here. A, a great need. There's Someone's got to deliver them from the Philistines. God sends Samson. Someone's got to show up and and begin to preach that Messiah is coming and to prepare the way of the Lord. And who gets pregnant? A woman by the name of Elizabeth, and she gives birth to John the Baptist. The sins of the world have to be atoned for. What does God do? He, He sends a baby. He sends God the Son. You see, again and again, God promising and keeping his word. He shows up to this bare woman and says, you're going to have a baby. A promised miracle. He knew. And in every one of those situations, from Israel back in Egypt until uh, when Jesus was born to take away our sin, God knew exactly what the need was, and he kept meeting that need. You know what I'm thankful for as a Christian in 2023? I'm thankful for the fact that God always keeps very good tabs on his children, and he knows exactly what their needs are and how to meet them. And that's what he's doing for the nation of Israel here. He's got a plan. He's working it. And he starts it here with a promised miracle and says, you're going to have, you're going to have a son. And he's going to deliver Israel. He's going to begin to deliver Israel from the Philistines. But then he says a second thing, not just a promised miracle. He, he makes a proclaimed mandate. There are some rules here. We bristle at that, don't we? A proclaimed mandate. What does he say in verses 4 and 5? You're going to have a son, he says in verse 3. But in verse 4, he says, Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not strong drink, uh, or wine nor strong drink, eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, no razor shall come on his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb. That's an interesting, uh, an interesting thing uh, that he's be, he tells her here. He's going to be a Nazarite unto God from the womb. That same command is given to the father, Manoah, in verse number 14. He is to be a Nazarite from the womb. What are we dealing with there? Would you hold your, would you hold your hand here, uh, your finger here rather, in, in Judges 13, and turn back, if you would, to Numbers chapter 6. The Bible is talking about a Nazarite, not a Nazarene. Nazarenes were from the city of Nazareth. That's not what this is. This is a Nazarite. So what is he talking about? Chapter 7, excuse me, chapter 6 and of the book of Numbers and verse number 1. The Lord spake unto Moses, and this is the law of the Nazarite. Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When either man or woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazarite, to separate themselves unto the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink, and shall drink no vinegar of wine or vinegar of strong drink, neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes, nor eat moist grapes or dried. All the days of his separation shall he eat nothing that is made of the vine tree, from the kernels even to the husk. All the days of the vow of his separation, there shall no razor come upon his head, 
until the days be fulfilled in which he separateth himself unto the Lord, he shall be holy, and and let the locks of the hair of his head grow. All the days that he separateth himself unto the Lord, he shall come at no dead body. He shall not make himself unclean for his father or for his mother, for his brother or for his sister when they die, because the consecration of his God is upon his head. All the days of his separation... He is holy unto the Lord. That's the law of the Nazarite. No wine, no strong drink, no haircut, don't touch a dead body. Even if during the term of your vow, your father, mother, brother, sister dies, you can't participate in the burial. You can't touch that dead body. This is the law of the Nazarite. This was a voluntary vow that Jews could take. Men could make the vow. Women could take the vow. Paul took the Nazarite vow at least twice in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. It could be man or woman. They were usually, um, they were usually for a short period of time. Uh, Jewish history says usually these vows were made for about 30 days. But twice in Judges 13, God says this, this boy is to be a Nazarite from the womb so much so that he was not to get wine or strong drink or unclean food, even through the umbilical cord. Once she conceived, she was not to drink anything. He was never to know strong drink. So this wasn't going to be a 30, 60, or 90-day vow voluntarily made. This was a mandate from God. Samson, from the womb, from the time he was conceived, his body was not to know strong drink. He was never to cut his hair. He was never to touch a dead body. He couldn't eat grapes and he couldn't eat raisins. The Bible was very specific, wasn't it? Don't eat grapes and don't eat dried grapes. This was usually, like I said, voluntary. But for him, it was for his whole life. That's not unusual. Samuel, in 1 Samuel 1.11, was a Nazarite for his whole life. John the Baptist was a Nazarite, Luke chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. Matthew chapter 3, he was a Nazarite his whole life. So Samson was to be a lifelong Nazarite unto God, the Bible says, from the womb. So he was never to do those things. Samson violated, you know it, right? He violated nearly every one of those rules during his life. There was a mandate that was proclaimed here. This is what he's to do, but he violated almost every one of those things that we could we could say. I wrote it down like this. He knew the code, but he forgot the concept. He knew the code. He knew the rules. They raised him. Manoah and his wife raised Samson. No wine, no strong drink. Don't touch a dead body. Don't eat unclean food. Don't eat food, any food growing off of any vine. But he forgot the concept. It wasn't just separation from these things. It was separation unto God. Yes, he was to avoid those things, absolutely. But did you see how the angel of the Lord worded it in Judges chapter 13? He is to be a Nazarite unto God from the womb. Separated from these things, but separated to the things of God. A lot of times in our life, what we do as Christians is we emphasize the thou shalt nots. Well, we shouldn't do this, and we shouldn't do that, we shouldn't do that. But we forget to do those things and commit to those things that build godliness in us. Samson knew the code, but he didn't get the concept. Being dedicated and surrendered unto God. So we can't be too hard on him because we'll do the same thing. You know, I... Everybody always said that growing up. I, I, I never heard it till I moved to Tennessee in 1978. Don't smoke, don't chew, don't run with girls that do. We know the things that we're not supposed to do. We've got that list. But oftentimes, even as God's children, we neglect those things that we ought to do. It's not just separating from these things. It's being separated unto God. Paul says almost the exact same things in the New Testament. He says, uh, I think he said it to the Corinthian church. I might be wrong on that. But he said, you, you left these things and you turned to God. You left idols, 
But you just didn't leave a vacancy there. You left idols and you turned to God. And that's what you and I are to do. Yes, no, we ought not to do things we ought not to do. Certainly, there are things that we ought to separate from. But then there are those things we ought to be separated unto God too that deepen our relationship with him. Our will should be surrendered to him. Can I say something in the United States of America that will make some of you bristle? But here it comes. You have no rights as a Christian. You have no rights as a Christian. We have it in our, I think it's in our Constitution, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You don't have those rights as a Christian. You don't have the right to life as a Christian. You have the right to live for God. But what if God leads you to die for him? You see, you and I have no rights as Christians. Every time Paul, you probably already know this, you know, remember how Paul introduces his letters to the churches? He'll say something like this, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, an apostle, grace, mercy, and peace be unto you, or grace and peace be unto you. Remember him saying that? You know, every time he says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, that that word servant, you and I would not use that word today. We would say the word slave. You know how many rights slaves had in the Roman Empire? That many. You can double it. They had that many. <laughs> no rights. When, when, it comes to, when it comes to the thing of God, not just separating from these things, but fully surrendering to him. Surrendering our will, surrendering our rights. 1 Corinthians 6 says that he has bought us with a price. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's, he says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Oftentimes, like Samson, we have trouble living that kind of life. We struggle because we like the things of the world. We like making our own decisions. We like doing this or going there or saying that. We like those things. But we ought to be separated from certain things, but certainly separated to certain things. A life that's fully surrendered to God. So the arrangements of his birth, it involved a miracle, it involved a mandate. The third thing is a prophesied ministry. In verse number 5, they, he tells them that this child is going to begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. The next judge of Israel was going to be their son. Even before, even before he was born, God had a detailed plan for Samson's life. Now here, God let the parents in on it. That doesn't always happen. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But here, God lets the parents in on it. I'm not going to belabor this point, but I just, wanted to make this, I just wanted to make this observation. And I put it on your worksheet. Parents, this is why raising your children according to biblical principles is so important. You never know who God sent into your home. They knew they had a judge coming into their home. D.L. Moody's parents had no idea he would shake two continents for Christ the way he did. Spurgeon's parents, though Christian, had no idea Charles Haddon Spurgeon was going to become the prince of preachers and people would still be quoting him and reading his messages and learning from him over 150 years after he died. They had no idea. So your responsibility and my responsibility is to give our children every spiritual advantage to be saved and to fulfill the the potential as men and women of God that he has planned for them. Your children and my children were born with a God-given purpose, no less than Samson. My job as a dad, not knowing what that purpose is from jump, my job is to, is to provide a home that is conducive to the work of the Holy Spirit in that child's life. Mom and dad, this is important. God has a plan for every one of your kids. Grandma and grandpa, God has a plan for every one of your grandkids. Cooperate with him in seeing them fulfill that plan. I love seeing grandparents bring their kids to church. God has a plan for those little kids. I just found out today I'm going to be a great uncle again. 
one of my nephews, he just got married last year. He and his wife are expecting. And my this will be my sister and her husband's first grandchild. And they're committed to they're they're committed to raising that child. Tyler and Bree, good Christian young couple. And I know they're going to be committed to raising that child so that God can work in that child's heart. Provide that home for them. There's the announcement of Samson's birth and the arrangements of his birth. Last thing is this, the accomplishment of it. It, He shows up, doesn't he, at the end of the chapter. The accomplishment of Samson's birth. In verse 24, back in Judges 13, verse 24 says, And the woman bare a son, and she, the woman, called his name Samson, and the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtaol. Don't you wish, don't you wish Samson's story ended right here? Don't you? I do. I wish his story ended right here at the end of chapter 13. Look what it says about him. It says he was born, he got this name, the child grew, the Lord blessed him, the spirit of the Lord began to move him. Everything sounds great. Even as a young man, he's being directed by the Spirit of God. I wish his story ended right there, and then we could just go on into uh, we could go on into the kings. The accomplishment of Samson's birth. First, there's the realization of it. God kept his promise, didn't he? God said, "You're going to have a son, barren lady," and she does. In verse 24, he, this baby is born. You, we know this. God can't lie. People that say there's nothing God can't do, that's not a correct statement. It is, God said this, it is impossible for God to lie. And he says that, he makes that clear in more than one place. Hebrews 6.18, Numbers 23.19, Titus 1.2. Every promise God makes, he makes good on. Abraham, speaking of God in Romans 4.21, said this, What he had promised, he was able also to perform. And that's what happened here. He made a promise and this baby is born. And Samson, Samson's mom names him Samson. Literally, that Hebrew word means like the sun, S-U-N. A sunny disposition, if you will. Like the sun. And when you read verses 24 and 25, the early days of his life may have seemed like, like some heavenly ray of sunshine on the nation of Israel. Like things are going to be great again. He's growing, God's blessing him, he's moving on him. Uh, this home that had been long time without, without a baby's cry now has a baby crying in it. That had to be a great sound to mom and dad, even at two or three in the morning. But there was no way that Manoah and his wife could know that this sunny little boy would eventually leave God's light and turn down a lifetime of darkness. He would, he would go down a lifetime of darkness. But, but he showed up. Here's another reminder to parents. Do everything you can to train your children and then commit them to God. There's no guarantee your kids are going to turn out right. Those of you who have older kids, don't you wish you could make choices for them when they're adults like you used to when they were kids? Wouldn't that be great? But you can't. All you can do is do what you need to do and should do in your home. When you're dealing with your children, you do your best to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, and then they have to make their choice to follow God or to follow their, their own will. But do what you can. I think, parent, I, I think Samson's parents stuck to the letter of the Nazarite law, but you know, if, you, if you've read his story, they tended to give him anything else he wanted. They never put a glass of wine in his hand. They didn't put grapes, you know, in his fruit bowl on the, on the thing. They, they stuck to the letter of the law. But the Bible says they gave him almost everything else that he wanted. You're not doing your kids any favors when you do that, mom and dad. You're not doing your kids or your grandkids any favors when you do that. They need to know that there are boundaries that they cannot cross without consequence. They need to respect the word no. Or not now. They need to learn that. Samson's parents didn't go that far. So you have the the realization of his birth. He was born. Uh, He showed up in their family. and, And God delivered that promise. 
but they drop the ball a little bit. There's, there's the realization of his birth. And then the second part of verse number 24, I put the relationship of his birth. Look, look at that summary of his early life. The second, part, second phrase of verse 24, the child grew and the Lord blessed him. God's spirit came upon him at certain times for service. God blessed him. I don't know how he blessed him. Did he bless him with wisdom? Was he already being blessed with strength? We don't know what that blessing was, but God blessed him as a young man. God's hand was on this young man in a special way. Whenever I see his, whenever I see his story here at the beginning, I think great beginning, tragic end. I wish his story ended at the end of, of chapter 13. But it started out right here. He failed to realize his full potential in the Lord. Did you notice that's what I entitled this series we're going on? Samson, it's a story of wasted potential. So much going right at the end of verse number, uh, uh, at the end rather of chapter 13, verses 24 and 25. He had this special relationship with God. And believers, you and I have to make sure we don't take this course. Oftentimes we do. We start out great and we have a wonderful relationship with God when we're first saved, but we just grow accustomed maybe to uh, to going away and going and doing our own thing more and more. At first, whatever God asks us to do, we'll do whatever. We'll talk to anybody. We'll do anything at the church. We'll jump in both feet. We'll, we'll do anything we can when we first get saved. It's wonderful. But as we go on, more and more of our self gets involved. And that's what happened with, with Samson. He did some great things in his life. But can you imagine? And, and you know the feats that he did for God. It was amazing things. Especially when it came, and I know this sounds terrible, but especially when it came to wiping out enemy soldiers. Boy, if anybody could, if anybody was a warrior, it was this guy. Can you imagine how effective he would have been as a leader in Israel if he would have just fully surrendered his life? Fully surrendered his life. There's the realization of his birth, this relationship of his birth. He, God had a special relationship with him. The reward of his birth. In verse 25, the spirit of God began to move on him. What is my point in, in this particular part? The spirit of God began to move on him. It impressed him. It led him. He was led by the spirit of God. What's my point here? My point is that early in his life, Samson appears to have been available to God. Someone said that one of the Christian's greatest abilities is availability. And he appears to have been available. He, like, like Isaiah's heart. And Isaiah, when, when Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Early on, that's how Samson appears to be. And God's looking for people like that today. I, I love that verse in 2 Chronicles 16.9. It says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. May I, may I encourage you not just to let the Spirit of God move in you when you're first saved, but stay fully surrendered. I wish that for chapters 14 and 15 and 16 that we would see this same idea that we see in chapter 13 verses 24 and 25 that God blessed him, that the spirit of God moved on him and that he began, uh, he began to be moved. I, I wish we would see that carried out through the rest of these chapters in his life, but we don't, we don't see that. This, this, this is an introductory message, and I know that, and I know we've introduced a lot of topics here. So what do I want you to take away? Let's, let's wrap this up tonight. I, want you, I listed at your worksheet four things to consider. Walking away from this, this chapter, meeting Samson, meeting his parents, how his birth was foretold and then fulfilled. What do we take away? The first thing is this. Consider your relationship with the Lord. Consider your relationship with the Lord. Is it everything that it should be? Because Samson had a relationship with God, but it wasn't what it should be. Consider your relationship with him. Are you available to God? Second, consider your relationship with the Holy Spirit. When he moves you to do something, what's your response like? When the Holy Spirit moves you to do something, or to say something to someone. How do you respond? 
is it humble obedience? Or is it, whew, Lord, I don't think so. I like that the spirit of the Lord began to move him at times. Consider your relationship with the Lord and with the Holy Spirit. Consider your relationship with your children. Are you raising them according to God's word? You know, I I hear this. Do you hear this a lot? We want to raise our kids with every possible advantage. You ever hear people say that? Don't you wish you'd hear people say, we want to raise our kids with every spiritual advantage we can. Make your home a place that's conducive to the work of the Holy Spirit. They're going to grow up and they're going to make decisions and you're not going to like those decisions But your responsibility and my responsibility is to train our children in the way that they should go. I wish, and we've told our kids, I wish I could make decisions for them. Now, Terry and I, for the last number of years, we have had the sorest tongues we've ever had in our lives because we're biting them all the time when we get in conversations sometimes. And you're just like, well, This is one you're going to have to learn by experience, so enjoy. All you can do is train them, but consider your relationship with your kids. And the last one is this. Consider your relationship with your mate. I just like the way Manoah responded to his wife when she said, a man from heaven came and talked to me. And his his immediate response was what? Let's get him back. Let's, let's, get, let's, get that, let's get that back. I know we've covered a lot of ground tonight, um, but it's a, good, it's a good kickoff to this series in Samson. One of the greatest abilities you have as a Christian is availability. Be available for God to do something in you. We're going to see Samson do incredible things, and we're going to see Samson do horrendous things. If he would just have chosen to be filled with that spirit more instead of giving into his flesh. And you know what I've found? You probably have too, but when the flesh rules in Mark, it is an absolute mess. I know that in me, that is in my flesh, Paul said, there is no good thing. So if anything good comes out of my life or your life, it's going to be because we chose to let God have his way and do his thing in us. And would to God we do that more than we do. Father, thank you for Samson's story. It's not always going to be what we want to see in someone's life that professes to know you and follow you. But he's he's an example of us, Lord, oftentimes of what not to do. So help us to learn from his life and help us to determine that we are going to be separated not only from the worldly things, but we will be separated unto godly things in the priorities of our life. We pray in your name. Amen.